Chapter 7 The Temple Key The Doctrine of the Church With the turn of your key, the stars above begin to fuse their light together until it becomes so violently bright you have to cover your eyes. When you're finally able to look up again, you find that the throne and sea have been replaced by a humble room with stucco-like walls and simple openings to let in the cool air. The dust-flecked sunlight flooding the room leads your eyes to a large table where at its center sit a small plate of bread and a simple cup of wine. You've heard about this place before, but you can't remember what it is. As you stand in the shadows, racking your brain, trying to place it, you hear his wise voice again. Step inside Christ Church. Your life was never your own. From the beginning, your King made you to know, love, and serve others. He made others to do the same for you. That is why, even when they don't recognize it, the people of this world need to create communities, neighborhoods, and towns. It's why humans constantly want to connect with each other. It's why you like the TV on when no one else is around. It's why your parents are looking at their phones so much. It's why you hope your friend from class invites you to his birthday party. Your king made you to know and love him and to know and love others like you. This is why you are in the upper room right now. You see, the king made you this way, not only for your happiness, but also for your holiness. This is why the death killer gathered 12 imperfect men to follow him and why he brought them to this table the night before his death. The bread and wine before you were the beginnings of a new meal he created through his new promises for his new family. It was here that Christ set the course for his own new community, what people in your world call the church. Now there are two ways to think about the church. The first is the local church. This is probably what you think of when you hear that word. The local church is like the one you see on the corner of the street on your way to school. But the local church isn't just that building. It's the people meeting with each other that makes up the church. It is a gathering of faith-filled people who meet together often in a set-aside place to worship the Lord together. But the Bible talks about a bigger church too, one your world calls the universal church. This is the true church without the limits of time or space. That just means that the universal church includes all Christians, anyone and everyone who clings to the death killer for their hope and happiness, regardless of age and place. The Universal Church's membership role is kept on the Lion Lamb Scroll that you saw by the crystal clear sea. The Universal Church includes those who live on the other side of the world and even those who no longer live in this world. The local church and the Universal Church overlap, but they aren't the same thing. There are those in the Universal Church who are in the local church, but some in the local church don't have membership in the Universal Church just like your own heart. Only the king who made you can perfectly see the universal church he is making. That is why the membership scroll belongs to him and only the death killer can open it. The images of Christ's church. The king made the church for you. 
It is his gift to you. So while the world wants you to see it as a duty or a chore or a place filled with boredom, the king wants to open your eyes to its beauty. That is why he fills his word with word pictures about his church. He wants you to fall in love with the church as the king's son has fallen in love with her. For as the word's pictures reveal, the church is the death killer's bride and he is her bridegroom. Christ gave his life for the church. He chose her and sacrificially loved her to the point of death on a cross. The church responds in love and faithfulness to the bridegroom, remaining loyal to him in a tempting and disloyal world. The king says that the church is also a temple. That is because God is present in the spirit in the church to change the world. Just as the ancient temple was to be holy, different, set apart, and made for God, so too is Christ's church. God builds the church by His Spirit on the work of Christ so that the Spirit can make all of God's promises yours. The Spirit is with the King's citizens to deliver them into the perfect experience of those promises waiting for you in the future. This is what the temple was for, letting God dwell among His people to make them His own and to get them where He wanted them to be. This is also why the church is God's new temple and why the church must be holy and different from the world. The church is also the body of Christ and Christ is the head of this church. Think of it this way. Your hand listens to your head when your head tells your hand to turn the key, right? And how do your legs know to run when you see the neighbor's dog get off his leash? Your head tells them too, right? The church works the same way. Christ is the leader of the church. He directs his people in love and wisdom and gives his people his spirit. He leads them to good things and a happy future. He is the source of her salvation. He gives her his righteousness and he provides her with his inheritance. The church then embodies Christ to the world that desperately needs to see him. The church is supposed to be his hands and feet in this right here, right now world. As the body works together for one purpose, the members of the body use their spirit-given gifts to glorify their king and bring the church to wisdom and maturity. That's why his people's character and actions should reflect his character and actions. The church is like the spirit-made mirror that reflects the king to a world looking for answers in all the wrong places. The church is God's family too. That means that the king is the church's father and the king's faith-filled followers are his sons and daughters. This is a ragtag family made up of all kinds of people with all kinds of past and all kinds of circumstances. When we see the church as a whole, it looks like a patchwork quilt with different shapes, patterns, colors, and designs, all sewn together by the threads of faith and the king's steady hand. This family exists 
only because of the king's faithful love expressed in the work of his son. Christ shed his blood so he could adopt those outside his family to be a people of his own possession. He turned rebels into family members, not because he needed to, but because his glory made a way for you to be his. That is why the church is one of God's biggest miracles. The Marks of Christ's Church After some time, the early church began to think long and hard about what it was and what it was supposed to do. As they thought about scripture and prayed to the king, the spirit kept bringing four important ideas into their minds, hearts, and conversations. These four ideas soon became known as the four marks or attributes of the church. They were so important, the early church wrote them down so that all of the king's citizens could spot the king's church in the wild, wild world. The church's first mark is her oneness or unity. This means that Jesus has one church. While the church is already united, it awaits a perfect unity when the king makes everything right in the world. Until then, the one church should strive to live out that unity right here, right now, because the kingdom citizens have the same spirit and share in his truth, love, and mission. The church should also be holy. This second mark means that Christ's work worked. He removed sin's blemish from his people and set her on mission to bring holiness to the world and to one another. The church exists to reflect God's perfection to the world, to declare that God is making a holy people and to bring his work of holiness to completion. So while the king has made the church holy, he also uses the church to keep the church holy. The church should also be Catholic. That's little c Catholic. Now the third mark of the church doesn't mean that the Roman Catholic Church, capital C, is the only real church in the world. Instead, it means that the church is global. It follows the king into all the world. No fences are big enough and no army is strong enough to keep the church out or away from any of his image bearers. The death killer's charge to make his name known and to turn enemies into citizens leads to the growth and spread of the church. That's why the sun never sets on Christ's kingdom. The king made the church to be a worldwide church, shining God's light into every dark corner of the world. This leads to the last mark of God's people. The church is one, holy, Catholic, little c, and apostolic. This characteristic answers the question, what does the church say to accomplish God's mission? In one word, scripture, all of it, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, the church speaks the king's word to the king's people in the king's world for the king's glory and the king's mission. The king builds his church on the words written by his son's spirit-led and faith-filled followers, men known as the death killer's apostles.
These men walked with the death killer during his time on earth and carried his message out into the world upon his ascension. Their words can still be read today in the pages of your Bible. Their words, led by the Spirit and centered on the Son, are the voice of the true church. So as the church finds its life and breath in all of God's words, in all of the Bible, the church lives and breathes because the apostles proclaimed all of these words to all the world. This is why the good news of Christ forms the center of the church. Because the good news of Christ is what all of Scripture is pointing us to. Where you find these marks, you will find the church of the King. He wants you to know them like a child knows his mother's voice, scent, kiss, and face by heart. Because these marks are reflections of the King's ways and the King's kingdom breaking into this world. The Acts of Christ's Church To know the church well also means that you know what she does and why she gathers. The church exists for worship. The faith-filled gather with one another to set their eyes on the King. They assemble to turn their ears to His Word. The church meets to have her hearts fall deeper in love with the King because the King first loved her and bought her with His Son's blood. This is why the church sings, reads, hears, and preaches the King's speech back to Him. Not because He needs it, though He does delight in it, but because you do. And through it, He tells you how to find your way back to Him, now and forever. While word and worship are vital to the church's life, this is not all she does. In fact, the church has two unique habits that make her different from everything else. These are what those in your world call sacraments or ordinances. You may know them by other names. They are baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are foundational for the church because these sacraments have everything to do with what the death killer did for his church. Take the sacrament of baptism, for example. Baptism is the God-designed megaphone the church uses to announce to the world that the faith-filled loyalty lies with the king. It pictures for all who are watching what your king has already done for his followers personally. It shows the outside world the good and glorious work God already did on the inside. That is why this sacrament is the first thing you do after you confess your faith in the death killer and repent of your sins against him. Baptism is the gospel put on visible display. Here is how. When the death killer's followers go under the water, they announce through a real life picture that they share in the death killer's death. When the death killer's followers come up from the water, they announce in that same real life picture that they share in the death killer's new life. Baptism shows the world that the death killer killed your death with his death and that the death killer's resurrected life is your life now. Baptism is all about your unity with Christ. 
Through pictures and images, it shows you how you can be a part of his body, that what he did on the cross and in the empty tomb, he did for you. That is why baptism is not only God's megaphone, it is also the handle on the church's front door. While baptism shows the world who you belong to, it also tells the church that you are under her care and now an active member of her body and a part of her life. The second sacrament sits in front of you right now. This is the Lord's Supper. This meal defines Christ's church. The bread before you pictures Christ's body, which when the bread is torn into pieces, is broken for his followers. The wine before you mirrors Jesus' blood, that when he pours it out, he is shed for his people. This meal, rich with gospel beauty that stirs the imagination, belongs to the church, because only those who are his can take their Savior in like this. The death killer made the Lord's Supper for all who belong in the King's kingdom. It is their privilege to eat at their Lord's table, and it is the first course of the promised never-ending banquet that awaits the church in a remade world. For now, the Lord's Supper is one of the ways the Lord helps the church keep her tired eyes focused on His Son's life-giving and soul-keeping love. When you see it, you see the death killer's drama played out in the beautiful symbols the king designed. And when you partake of the divine meal, you know and experience God's good gifts spiritually. For the church to be a church, she cannot and must not neglect these sacraments. Both belong to the church to help God's people know, remember, hear, taste, feel, and see what Christ has done for her. The king uses them to picture how the gospel affects every part of who you are, down to every one of your senses. They define the church and mark his people out as his own. The Mission of Christ's Church As you heard in the desert, the Spirit guides his people, which means the church is going somewhere. The church is on a mission. Even though the building doesn't move, the people in the building are to be moving forward into the world for the King. You see, the Spirit wants to make His church more like her Savior. He also wants to use His church to do so. The Spirit will get His people to the end of God's story, and the church is one of the main ways He will do this. Remember, your life is never your own. The Spirit uses the people in the church with all their wisdom and all their problems to shape you and prepare you for the new creation. The church is just what God planned to use to make you more like Christ. This puts the church in the right place. It doesn't exist to glorify you. It exists to help you become more like the death killer. The church is an instrument in the Spirit's hands. He uses all the people who act and think differently than you, not to annoy you, but to help you grow in godliness. And you, in all your courts, by the Spirit's direction, help them grow too. But the church's mission doesn't just take place within its own walls. It goes out into all the world too. 
Every time you step outside the church, you are back among the rebels. You aren't there to fear them, or to run from them, or to judge them. You are there to tell them the good news about the death killer, so they can enter into his kingdom, partake of his life-giving death, and rejoice in the one they currently hate. The church's mission is not only to keep the faith filled on the narrow path to God's future gifts, it's also called by God to help the faithless become filled with faith too. The question remains, do you belong to Christ's church? Are you marching with the church on the narrow path toward his too good to be true but really are promises? If you want to catch a glimpse of the promises that await the King's citizens, then turn the final key. But before you do, be warned. You cannot unsee what lies on the other side of this lock. And so you close your eyes, and with a deep breath, you turn the last key one last time.